At the Lantern Theater's amazing production of John Patrick Chanley's play, Doubt, directed by our very own Wayne Stengel, about the rector of a parish, Father Flynn, and the judgmental principal of his school, Sister Aloysius Bovier, I found myself envious of the character of Sister Aloysius. See, I envied her certainty, her seeming lack of doubt, her ability to live in a world of black and white, where ballpoint pens and long fingernails were sure signs of weakness, or worse, where too much sugar in your tea suggests a dissolute life, brimming with indulgence. You see, I envy her certainty because I've never shared it. Mine is a world of grays, not blacks and whites, more nuanced, more complicated, and always has been. And I sometimes, often, worry that maybe I'm wrong. That our brand of Christianity lacks the power of the principle and is too easily swayed by public opinion or cultural norms into positions that, well, might have us on the wrong path. I'd be lying if I didn't wonder if the latest epidemic of monkeypox and its focus on gay men might mean that God really does have it out for us and that our church's stand on homosexuality is wrong. It's a function of coming out at the height of the AIDS crisis in the 80s when those accusations of immorality felt very real. So I worry that I'm wrong about it too. Or possibly even worse, that we are caught up in this grace-filled belief that requires no ethical compass where any kind of moral compunction is a holdover from our country's Puritan past, only to be ignored. So we turn our Christianity inward, working on a clean conscience, a clean soul, and remain blind to the oppression and inequities of the world. It's a kind of New Age spiritualization of our faith, leading us to go more deeply inward and away from the messiness of the world, ignorant of our complicity in society's ills. Do you see? I have doubts. In the foreword to the 2005 production of the movie version of the play, Chanley gives me reason to take heart. That doubt, far from being a weakness or a flaw, is the sure sign of growth. He says, and I quote, It is doubt, so often experienced initially as weakness, that changes things. When a man feels unsteady, when he falters, when hard-won knowledge evaporates before his eyes, he's on the verge of growth. Doubt isn't the easy path, not by any means, but per Shanley, the more dynamic, the more courageous one. He says doubt requires more courage than conviction does, and more energy, because conviction is a resting place and doubt is infinite. Even one of the plays leads the priest, Father Flynn, addresses doubt. He leaves space for doubt at the end of his opening sermon when he says, doubt can be a bond as powerful and sustaining as certainty. When you are lost, you are not alone. So I'm inclined to take some comfort in my doubts. Now, doubt would be very familiar to the writer of Hebrews. The New Testament reading we've been working our way through these past weeks. As I'm sure you noticed, Hebrews can be a confusing read. 
And I've watched readers up here at the lectern over the past week stumble on its endless repetition. It's quirky allusions to minor Old Testament characters like Melchizedek and Esau. And it's repeated references to the tabernacle cult and its wandering Israelites. It's kind of like a poorly subtitled foreign film where you know something has been lost in translation, which in fact it has. The book of Hebrews is considered one of the more, most articulate writings in its original Greek, surpassing the style of other more celebrated Greek writers like Paul and Luke. Now fortunately, this week's reading is one of the more clear admonitions, and I'll get to it in a minute. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews was. I particularly like that one of the lead possibilities is a woman, Priscilla. Having a lone female voice among the scripture writers gives me a lot of hope. And to be clear, it's written to a second generation group of Christian believers, despite its confusing name, Hebrews. There's no doubt that the community of Hebrews is in crisis. You see, they're having their own doubts. And it's not clear if these doubts are the delayed final return of Christ or the dishonor they felt daily as followers of one who endured the remarkable shame of the cross. Keep in mind that in an ancient Near East honor society, honor culture, there was no room for shame of any kind. Or maybe they were simply reeling from a Christ that had become too distant, too divine, to be much help in the daily challenges of living that we all face. For whatever the reason, they are in crisis. Attendance at worship services is declining. Individual commitment is on the wane. If this sounds a bit familiar, so be it. Hebrews is a strong pastoral letter to the community, recalling a past where they were cheerful and generous and caring, even under very difficult circumstances. So think of it, Hebrews is a kind of halftime locker room pep talk. A little confusing, but still a pep talk nonetheless. And no chapter is more attuned to an exhortation to keep the faith than today's reading, chapter 13. It's the final chapter of the book of Hebrews, and the writer seeks to leave the listeners with practical advice and guidance. Think of it like a roadmap to keeping the faith, even in times of doubt. The writing is beautiful, poetic, ideas like mutual love, hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. I especially love that. When have you unknowingly entertained angels? There's still time, you know. Solidarity with those in prison, those being tortured as if it were happening to you, sexual morality, freedom from the love of money, Generosity, continuity. In his 1948 Easter letter to Don Giovanni Calabria, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, inspired by today's reading, said the following, In the poor man who knocks at my door, in my ailing mother, in the young man who seeks my advice, the Lord himself is present. Let us wash his feet. See, Christ is always accessible always present in the many ways we see him, in our neighbor, in the stranger, in each other. We've entertained angels without knowing it. And the crux of today's reading, and arguably the pinnacle of the book of Hebrews, and the source of our hope, 
is the ultimate message of ultimate constancy. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think about it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and will be tomorrow. What are we to fear? What are we to doubt? There's a line in the play toward the middle when Sister Aloysius tries to make right happen. She tries to control circumstances that are beyond her. And she says, quote, innocence can only be wisdom in a world without evil. Situations arise and we are confronted with wrongdoing and the need to act. See, Sister Aloysius and, and us in that same condition forget the constancy of Christ. Our Savior was there yesterday, is there today, will be there tomorrow. We act not out of self-righteousness, but out of deep love for our neighbor, for the stranger, for the prisoner. You see, the opposite of doubt is absolute certainty. That right is on my side, and I am quick to judge those who differ from me. It's a great temptation, and I know I do it every day. See, I judge the reckless drivers on Conway's now busy roundabouts. I judge those who don't share my inclusive LGBT welcoming faith, even if I do myself sometimes have doubt. I judge those who see a play like Shanley's Doubt as a threat and try to ban it from schools and libraries. You might say doubt's counterpart is playing God. And when we do that, when we slip into righteous, and we do that when we slip into righteous judgment, when we're sure we have the answer, even if we have to engineer a thing or two to make it happen. Now the book of Hebrews begins its closing paragraph with a wonderful poetic blessing. We don't read it today, but I think it's worth for us to hear. And it's sometimes used at the close of our services. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Make you complete in everything good, so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. I love how it captures God's will for us. Wholeness. Completeness. And our response that we do, just because we do it, doing that which is pleasing in his sight. And we do all this through Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday today, and tomorrow. And of that, there's little doubt. Amen.